So we're in our we're in our family series again. We took a break last week with um, Donnie and Ronell being here. And if you haven't listened to that sermon, I'd, I'd really encourage you to go and listen to that. It is it's so meaty, it's so weighty. Even if you have, if you were here, it might be good to go and listen to it again, just to maybe you, there's some stuff that you missed in there. It's on our YouTube channel. It's on our um, podcast. You can go and download it and listen to it while you're driving. However, you find it most beneficial to you to be able to listen to it. So, but I'd really encourage you to go and uh, listen to that. You know, we value those gifts when they come into the church. And, and one of the ways we honor that is by truly listening to what he said and going, God, what are you saying to us through what is, what is coming in? We don't invite them in just so that they're a guest speaker and I can get a weekend off because it's not. But um, that's why we do it is, is because we truly believe that they've got something that we need. And so let's pay attention to what God is saying through that moment and and um, through Donnie and Ronell, and it was an amazing time. We had a cool lunch with them afterwards, and um, they really are a, such a valuable couple, and, and we love them and appreciate them. And that is, the, that is something of the wider family of the church that we get to be a part of. You know, we get to, the church is, capital C is made up of lots of local churches. We work and we live in the, the biggest family organization in the world. It's, it's the father's family, and it's Jesus is the head of that family, but we get to be a part of the, if you want to call it that, the biggest family business that the world has ever known. And we're in that. And you're part of it. And you're, you're a full inheritor of that family business. You're a 100% shareholder in that family business. It's incredible. That's your inheritance. You don't have to split it with anybody. You get the full inheritance and the full benefit of being part of that family. But we're in our series on, on family. This is our fourth week so we spoke about in the beginning the importance of family and, and why God uses that analogy of family um, for the church over and over in the New Testament. It's overwhelmingly the biggest, uh, the most often used metaphor is that of family. We spoke about marriages, how important marriages are, how important the family unit is, um, how, to, how to live marriages and our singleness out as well. That you know, both marriage and singleness can demonstrate the, the love of, of Jesus, the commitment and the depth and the, the breadth and the availability of, of the love of God through our marriages and through our singleness. And we spoke about parenting and how fun that is and how much we, we get to enjoy that and how much we get to, to smile and just, you know, just have a, how Jesus uses that to weed some stuff out of our lives and to expose our insecurities and our shortcomings. And, and even as even as those who may not have, have kids, or if your kids have grown up, or uh, maybe you've got grandkids, you get to parent other people's kids. And, and in, in this family, you know, we get to be a part of parenting other people's kids. I had the privilege of speaking to somebody's adult child. Now, my kids, my oldest one is 13, and the others are 12 and 9, so 8, so mine are small. But I, I had the privilege of chatting to somebody in this church, their adult child, and, and helping her with something, and just helping her with something that I'm I've learned to deal with in, in my own life and just going, okay, so I see you struggling with this. So we get to be a part of parenting other people's kids in that way. And, and you know, that, that old African proverb, it really takes a village to raise a child. And, and that's a, that is actually a biblical principle. It's, it's amazing how many of the traditional proverbs we have from traditional societies around the world are actually biblical wisdom. And so let's learn, let's, let's live that out and let our kids be parented by other people and parent other people's kids. So give ourselves to other people's kids as well. So that's where we're at. And today we come to what I've called the one another's. So the one another's. Um, and in, if you've read your New Testament, you'll know this, that there's a lot of one another's that comes up. Often and over and over again, that, that word one another comes up. And I had this 
amazing picture out of these one another's and it was this really cool hierarchy of one another's and it was super technical and it had columns and layers and arrows and it was like based loosely on Maslow's hierarchy of needs but I, um, I just felt that was a bit academic and a bit technical and my wife agreed with me and she was like that would have been bad nobody would have maybe there were two of you that would have enjoyed it. I think Groomy would have enjoyed it because he's like a spreadsheet guy like me but just me and Groomy it would have been a bit much but um, so I, I just had to sit and, and, and kind of I felt God give me this other picture. So could you take out your device? Do you have a device with you? Um, a phone, a tablet, something like that. I want you to hang on to that. Um, I, I, and it's also amazing that this worked out, that you can't Facebook because there's no power and no signal. So that's why it's safe to also ask you to take your devices out because I know you're not going to be looking at other things. But just, you don't have to turn it on just yet. Just hold it in your hand and keep it with you. If you've got an iPad or something like that, just keep it with you. Keep it locked. But here's the, here's the thing about um, the, the picture that I had for, for members or for one another's, the, the one another's of the Bible. And, and the first one that we're going to look at, and there's kind of two foundational ones, and then the others build on those, and then there's a whole lot of categories in that. So, so the one another's occurs roughly, the, the word that is trans, the Greek word occurs roughly a hundred times in the New Testament. So... Probably about 55, between 44 and 55 of those are actual instructions about how to treat one another. Sometimes it's just like a, a part of speech where it's just like, and they spoke to one another, and that's not an instruction for us. So that's the, the rest of them. They're just used in normal everyday language. But the, the other sort of, depending on how you count them, 44 to 55, are instructions to us of, of how to live with one another. So that's what this morning is about. It's about how do we, how do we live in this family that we call church? How do we do life with one another? And the, the thing that I had as this, this base understanding for all of us is that, um, is that we are members of one another. That we are members of one another. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 out of the, uh, the New Revised Standard Version says, For we are members of one another. You see, I'm not that clever. I just took it straight out the Bible. So we are members of one another. It's, a, it's Paul explaining it. And he just says, this is, this is who we are. We are members of of one another. Romans 12 verse 5 out of the Amplified version puts it like this. It says, so we who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ and individually we are all parts of one another, mutually dependent on each other. Do you see it? We're all parts of one another. So even though we are many, we don't lose our individuality, but there's a corporateness to us that is undeniable. We are members of one another. I am a member of Dennis. Dennis is a member of Ross. And Ross is a member of John. We are members of one another. And so when we have that, that base understanding, it helps us. So in your device that you're holding up in front of you, there are components that make up your device. So there are little screws, and there are chips, and there are circuit boards, and there are wires, and there's a screen, and there's a backing cover, and there's a whole lot of thousands of little components that go up into making this device. And that is the picture of each and every one of us. We are like those components in this device. We are all parts of something that is a whole that is bigger than us. And, and again, with analogies, I know that analogies are never perfect. So there are major shortcomings in it, but it's the best I could do. So... Aside from my picture, if you want the technical drawing, I can give you that. But my analogy works. So we're all like those little parts. So maybe, maybe you're a wire that just, 
You don't think you're that important. You're like, I'm just a wire just connecting two things. I'm just a, a gold line on a circuit board. Like, I'm not really that valuable. Like, I don't really do very much. I only carry a signal every now and again. But what you don't understand is that you are part of the circuitry that connects the processing chip to the camera. So you tell the camera when to flash. And if you've got any social media, that is an important function to do. If you are owned by somebody less than 25, you are fulfilling an important vital function in life to make the camera flash. And so you might not think so, but you might just think, man, I'm just this, like, I'm just, an, I'm just a bit of solder that holds the wire on. You know, I had a Land Rover, and, and Land Rovers make you a really good mechanic and auto electrician as an owner. And I had a problem where the back windows on my, and it was a, it was a Land Rover Discovery one, so it had electric windows. And the back windows would work intermittently. And I remember the one day we got to, we drove out around the Pilansburg, and we were at Sun City. We decided we were going to go into Sun City, so we stopped there in the Land Rover, and we got in the parking lot, and the back windows wouldn't go up. Now, I mean, you parked in amongst thousands of cars, and you, now what do I do? Now we've got a whole other stuff. We've been in the Pilansburg all day, so there's like cooler boxes and cameras, and you don't want to carry all this stuff around Sun City. Anyway, I had this, and what it was, what the problem was, fortunately, I wasn't the first owner of a Land Rover, but in the circuit board, up under the dashboard, as part of the in some other box that was hard to reach to and broke your knuckles to get it out, was a small connection that the solder would break on that thing. For some reason, it was a regular fault on the Land Rover. Is that, and that was the soldering for the wire, for the control, for the back windows. Solder that thing up, works like a dream. So you might just think, man, I'm just a bit of solder that holds a wire in place. But you fulfill a vital function. We are all members of one body. We are all part of this. We all form vital parts. We might look at the screen and think, man, I want to be the screen. Screen is nice. You know, often, what's the first thing that gets broken when you drop your phone? The screen. Not so nice to be the screen always, is it? But understanding this, understanding, um, understanding that we are all parts of the whole, understanding that we are all vital parts of this, that we are members of one another, enables us to rest in the function that we have. It enables us um, to, to realize that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, to realize that we serve something bigger than ourselves. And and that our function in that is, is very freeing in, in what we do there. It also means that we have a responsibility to others. That we have a responsibility to those around us in how we live and how we carry on. But I'll get, I'll get to more of that just now. So when we see that we are part of something bigger and we have a responsibility to others, the, the knock-on effect of that is that it gives us perseverance. Because we're able to understand that, man, I, it's like playing in a team. We're able to go, man, I, I, you know, it's, it's one thing to let like your coach down, but it's another thing to let your teammates down. It's, it's far harder to let your teammates down than it is to let a coach down or someone that's an authority over you. But your peers, and you see it on the rugby field, they, they die for their peers. But when we, so when we understand that we're part of something bigger, it gives us perseverance. So that when we face something tough, we're able to go, no, for Dave's sake, I will push through in dealing with my sin. Does that make sense? So even in the stuff that I have, I've got to realize that I'm part of other people, that I'm part of other people in a way that affects them. So we are vital to this family that we call church, and we can run the race no matter how difficult it gets. So that's the first one, members of one another. And then the other major one that comes in. So, we're all, we, so now we've got the components of our device, and it's nice to have those. It's good to have that. But as most of you might have found out last night with the power being off, and if, if there's no power in that device, it's pretty useless, isn't it? 
makes a great paperweight. Maybe you could throw it at small rodents to try and kill them. I don't know. It, it's pretty useless beyond that if there's no electricity in that thing. But the next one, the next one another that we get to is love one another. Now, this is the most often repeated one another in the New Testament. At least 16 times. The instruction is to love one another. And it's an incredible thing. So it's, it's like 30% of, of what is, it's a third, it's a bit more than 30% of the one another's that are instructions is love one another. So one in every three one another's is a love one another. Do you get how important this is? Jesus said it like this in John 13, 34 and 5. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Three times, in two short verses, Jesus is going, love one another, love one another. Do you get it? Love one another. He's going, this is what is important. This is how you are to live. The Amplified Notes put it like this, on, on speaking on, on this love. It says, the key to understanding this and other statements about love is to know that this love, agape love, I'll explain it now, is not so much a matter of emotion as it is of doing things for the benefit of another person. That is, having an unselfish concern for another and a willingness to seek the best for another. Incredible. It's an unselfish concern for another. Sometimes we are concerned for others like, because it affects us. So we want our kids to clean their rooms because I don't like living in a dirty house. Don't leave your stuff in the lounge because I don't like it when there's plates and cups in the lounge, yeah? That is not truly an unselfish concern. There's some part of that that I, I don't want you to grow up to be a slob. Like, I'd like you to grow up to be a neat, decent human being. But part of it is also like, I get the benefit out of that. But an unselfish concern is where you love somebody and there, there is a very good chance that you will get nothing back out of that. That is the unconditional love. So in the Greek, there's four kinds of, there's four different words for love. Sometimes our English language lacks because we, um, just sort of how it's formed and where it is, like we, and, and again, it's languages all around the world like that. The important things have multiple words for them. But English being a very adjective he heavy language, we use describing words for our nouns. So, but some languages have more noun heavy, so they have lots of nouns for the same thing occurring in different places. So there's lots of examples of those, but the Greek one being love. So they've got four words for different kinds of love. So there's love between a family member, there's love between friends, there's a love between a husband and wife or an erotic love, and there's an agape love, which is this one, which is the word that's used here over and over, which is this unconditional love of God. So, and that's how it comes, is it comes to us as unconditional love from God. And so it's a, it's a love that is not looking for anything reciprocal. It's not looking for anything back. The joy in this kind of love is simply seeing the benefit in the other. It's seeing the other flourish, and it's seeing the other come to life. So, in our device analogy, the love, one another, this one another, is the power that's in there. Either the battery that's built in, or the charging cable, or the extra battery bank, whatever it is, it's the electricity that powers this thing. It's good to have the components, lovely that we're all here this morning, but if we don't love one another, there's no point. Then we're just gathering, you might as well, honestly, we might as well go across the road to the club and sit at the club because that would be better for us. We're not a country club. You know, country, oh, I'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's like the battery. So, 
Up until now, we've just been nuts and bolts and dead circuit boards and black screens. But now what we have is we have this unconditional love of God as the battery or the electricity or the power that is in us that makes this thing work. So his love, his love, his electricity, his power flowing through us empowers us to love. And it's vital that we see that. It's vital that we understand that we must first be loved in order to love. You can't give what you don't have. You must be loved by God. You must know that love of God. Experience that unconditional love of God. And then you are able to love it out. Then you are able to live it out. It's an incredible thing. Because what happens, and, and, and this is the beauty of this, is that when we are, when we are first loved and we are then able to love others, we, we live out the example of God. We live out the very example that Jesus came and showed us. Because the word's clear. It says, while we were still enemies, he showered his love, or he showed his love to us by coming and dying for us on a cross. And it's an incredible thing. We often want people to do certain things before we're willing to love them. But Jesus didn't. He loved you before you even knew him, before you knew you needed that love, before you wanted it. And in fact, while you were still his enemy, he still says, I'm going to love you regardless. And it's an incredible thing. It's not an emotion that we have to drum up with a manipulation, but it's a command and it's an instruction and it's a must for us who are loved, is you must love one another. And the second thing is, this is your best evangelism tactic. It's a beautiful thing. You know, sometimes we're like, yes, I don't know how to do evangelism, and we've got like the Roman road and the five these and the four those, and the little, we want little tracks to hand out, and, and those are helpful and those are useful and those are good to know, and those are, those are good strategies. But Jesus says, the way that the world will know that you are my disciples, that you follow me, the way that you, if you want to be a Christian, a, a small Christ, a, a little Christ, if you want to be like a little example of Jesus on this planet, love unconditionally. Love one another unconditionally. It's incredible. He says, it's the greatest evangelism tactic you have. You see, the world thinks that a Christian is someone who has to keep all the rules. You do all the things right and you read so many chapters a day and you, know, you don't smoke and you don't drink and you don't buy the lotto and dress nice and authentic on a Saturday, I mean a Sunday. And Saturdays are free, Sundays are when you dress. But you've got to, you know, you've got to be like, and, and so that's, and they think that's what it looks like. They think that's what a Christian is, is somebody who, who does everything right. And, you, and as soon as you don't, as soon as you get something wrong, they go, oh, look at you, you're a hypocrite. You had that? You had people say that? Oh, yeah, but you're not really. Like, are you really a Christian? Like, look at you. But that's because there's a misunderstanding about what it means to be a, a follower of Christ. Because a follower of Christ is someone who loves unconditionally. And so that means when someone else who you love, who's in the body, makes a mistake, we love them unconditionally. That's a very difficult thing to do for us. The only way we're going to do it is if we have first experienced that unconditional love of God. So this agape love flows from being loved unconditionally. And, and just to set you free, loving others will not earn you any more love from Jesus. You know that. Remember that gospel prayer, that magnet that we did earlier in the year, that J.D. Greer gospel prayer? There is nothing in Christ that I can do that will make you love me more, and there's nothing that I have done that will make, make you love me less. That's the unconditional love of God. It's in that little prayer. If you didn't get a magnet, I think I've got one left. But this love for one another, because we are members of one another, you see how it builds? Empowers all the other one another's. If this device has no electricity... 
has no power. The battery is dead and you've got no, thing, no external power to plug it in or charging cable. It is useless. But once you power it up, all the other one and others that we're going to look at now come to life and are possible. So, building on that, I've now got four one another's and I'm putting all the other one another's in those four categories if you want to picture my flow diagram in your head for the nerds like me. The next one is honor one another. Honor one another. Romans chapter 12 verse 10, the second half out of the ESV says, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, honor is not something that is spoken about very often in modern day culture. It's not something that we espouse as a real great quality of people who lead and you know we, we really want an honorable person it's something almost that we've forgotten it's this kind of um, character trait that is, has long been forgotten and what we have in its place unfortunately rising is contempt instead of treating one another with honor we treat each other with contempt you think about it when a, the next person who's going to get voted in as president what's the first thing we do we pick apart all the faults and the reasons why he's going to be a bad, bad president. Hey man, this like's been part of that, and he did this, and he was in this department, and they failed, and he was here. That's contempt. We look at one another and we go, man, look at that person. They're failing in this regard. That, that is con we do it with our spouses. We, treat our, we, we allow that, that conversation to play over and over in our heads until the contempt and for our spouse builds up and they get home, and we're like, wow, and they're going, cheapest, what was that about? But there's this contempt that is built up. And when we choose to live in a way that honors, life is different. And here's a, here's a quote from a chap called John Tyson. He leads a church in New York. He wrote a book called Beautiful Resistance. It's a great read. He says, honor, however, speaking about the, the, the contrast between honor and contempt, he says, honor, however, is recognizing the value of something. This is where honor contains the power to transform. If contempt reduces value, honor restores it and lays a foundation for all our relationships. Honor is the call to recognize the value in God and one another and to order our relationships around it. And here's the key for us this morning. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. And I thought that was such a brilliant line, that honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. For those of you who, like me, are over 40, an operating system is the, the background stuff, software, that your phone or device or computer runs on. So it's either Windows, that's an operating system, or like if you've got a Samsung or something, it's an Android, or if you've got an iPhone, it's called, a, they went really technical, and they called it an iOS, which is the iPhone operating system. You can see they thought long and hard about that. Huawei has now developed its own operating systems. So the operating system is the base platform that everything else on your device runs on. So you've got all the components, you've got the battery, you've got the electricity, and then your, your device needs an operating system. And that has its own language and the way that it talks and the way that it functions and operates. So if you put a cell phone, I mean a, an iPhone and an Android next to each other, they're going to work a bit differently. The screen brightness comes from a different place. The settings operate a bit differently. All of those sort of things. Those are your operating system. What you can and can't do. The, the base of the phone. So that is either going to give you potential or restrict how your phone can operate. The operating system affects everything that you're going to use on the device. So like now, recently there was one when Huawei developed their own, um, their own operating system. All of a sudden, none of the... Android apps or the iOS apps could work on Huawei phones. So they had to develop their own 
They had to redo all of the apps over again, and they, they're still busy with it. There's still a lot of apps that don't work. But, and so they've now got their own app store that you've got to download stuff from. So because the operating system couldn't talk to the apps. So even simple things like WhatsApp or Facebook or anything like that, they couldn't talk to that, so you couldn't have them. At first there was a patch you had to get, but now there's the, the apps are busy being developed to talk to the operating system. And so for us, here is the question for us. What is the operating system of your life? What is the base that you operate from in dealing with one another? If we understand that we are members of one another, we're empowered and we're, we're we've got the, the love of God, the love for one another from the love of God that is causing us to come alive and that is the power. What is the, what is the first thing that comes out? What is our default? What is our operating system? Is it honor? Is honor the base from which you operate in your relationships with one another, with every, some, every single other person in the church? Is it honor that you operate from in that place? If not, may I suggest a hard reset and a new software installation where you hold down a combination of buttons and you start again and you go, Lord, forgive me, clear me, let's go again. Sometimes that's needed. John Tyson goes on to say, honor is not peripheral. So in other words, it's not on the outside, but it's central to the life of the church. Honor is central to the life of the church. And here's why. Because dishonor brings division and breaks down. And if we're going to live with one another, we want to live in unity. When we live in unity, do you know what the Bible says when we live in unity? Where There's a Psalm 133. Where we live in unity, where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, God commands a blessing. I don't know how many things God has commanded in your life, but that's one of them I'd love. And so if we want to live in unity, let us start from a place of honoring one another. You know, the easiest way to honor someone, here's some other one another's, and I'll get to that now. So here's some other one another's that I think fit under honor. Once we are running on our honor operating system, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Romans 16.16, 16, greet one another properly. Do you know that the Bible actually says greet each other with a holy kiss? I haven't got there yet. I'm still working on that. Don't even try, Dave. <laughs> I know Dave would, but uh, we all have times in our walk with Jesus. <laughs> Ephesians 4.2 and Colossians 3.13, be patient with one another. Be patient with one another. Is honor the operating system? Ephesians 5.21, 1 Peter 5.5, submit to one another. That's a tough one, eh? Submit to one another. You see, when I honor you, it is an act of submission because I'm going, man, this is, but, I, but be careful what I'm, we sometimes have a misunderstanding of that word submission. We've got a negative connotation to it, which means I just take whatever you say. But a submission in a godly way says, I recognize the value in God and of God in you. And so I'm going to honor that thing. Does that make sense? Same as husbands and wives. When we submit, that, that whole portion of husbands and wives in Ephesians 5 that we looked with, we, we, we read it, starts with this instruction. Submit to one another. It's amazing. That one's often left out eh? in the thing. Because the very next thing says, wives, submit to your husbands. And we, like, we start from there. But we, we missed that verse before it, which says, submit to one another. And that is an honor thing. Philippians 2.3, consider one another as more important than yourself. You can only do that if, honor, if, your, if your base operating system is honor. 
When we honor others, we shine the light of Jesus in their lives. All right, so we've got members of one another, love one another, and honor one another. We've got a whole lot of another one another's in the um, honor one another. So the next one we get to as, a, as our one another is the easiest one of the lot. Forgive one another. That was sarcastic. Ephesians 4.32 in the Amplified says, Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another, readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone. Can you say anyone? Can we all say anyone? We're a bit scared to say anyone, huh? I thought it might be. Forgive anyone who offends you. And here's the reason why. And this might seem like manipulation, but it's not when you understand it. It says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Can you say must? Must. Must. Not like, it'll be nice if you would consider it. Not like, hey, think about it. Not like, work on it. Not like, a good idea. You must forgive others. You must forgive others. Sarcastically, this is, the, this is probably one of the most difficult things to do in community. Because we can't forget. It's impo- I don't know how you, I, I've not met anybody who can actively forget something. If I told you to forget about a pink elephant, like all you think about is the pink elephant. I keep, like, have you forgotten about the pink elephant? No, I haven't forgotten about the pink elephant because you've just reminded me. And it keeps coming. So we can't forget about stuff. But we can forgive. You see, forgiveness means setting the other person free from my condemnation. It means trusting that God will deal with that person as he sees fit. Because I acknowledge that I am an imperfect judge. I acknowledge that God is a perfect judge and not me. And so my forgiveness is not a going, oh, what you did is fine, it's okay, don't worry about it. My forgiveness is going, I am not going to continue to be burdened by what you have done to me. So I'm going to set me free by forgiving you and set you free from me condemning you in that thing. And you see the freedom that comes in forgiveness. When we live in that place where we're able to forgive quickly and freely, we are able to live in a way that is free from... Because that is the ongoing thing, isn't it? If someone does something against you and you lie awake at night wrestling with that thing and tossing and turning, man, that thing is happening to you over and over again. He's got you over and over again. And when you forgive that person of that thing, it comes from a place of acknowledging that God is in charge and I am not. And so I can let that thing go. There's that old adage that, you know, whole harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. It seems like it's insanity, but we do that because, and, and, and unfortunately, I think for, for many of us, some of that unforgiveness almost becomes part of our identity. We think like, this is the thing that was done to me, and I hold on to that. And that becomes who I am. It's not. You're way more than that. Forgive one another. You must forgive. So forgiveness in our device analogy. You still got your devices with you, yeah? So forgiveness in our device analogy. So now we've, got, now we've got the thing all put together. We've got all the parts. We've got electricity in it. We've got power. We've got a battery. It's powered up. We've even got an operating system. So it's functioning. There's stuff we can see. It's not just a, like a logo on there. So there's actually programs on there. Forgiveness is like having the pin or the thumbprint or the face. It's unlocking the device. 
It's so that when you put it on, the device comes to life. Forgiveness unlocks all of the other one another's. Forgiveness unlocks the ability to make use of this device. When we harbor unforgiveness, when we refuse to forgive, you know what we do? We lock ourselves out. We lock ourselves out of community. We lock ourselves out of relationships with other people. Unforgiveness builds a wall between me and you. Unforgiveness means that I cannot love you unconditionally. It means that I cannot do all the other one another's that we've already said. I, I cannot greet you properly. I cannot be devoted to you. I cannot submit to you. I cannot be patient with you if I'm not willing to forgive. We forgive in order to maintain any, any level of depth of a relationship that you want to be. Now, if you've been in a relationship with somebody else, even just a friend relationship for probably more than four and a half minutes, you'll understand that forgiveness is a vital part of being in an ongoing, continuing relationship with someone. And if you've got any level of humility in you and some self-reflection, you'll realize that at some point in the relationship, you are probably going to need to be forgiven too. Yes? Good. Okay. Donnie, last week, he, he said that thing. He said, you know, a, a good marriage is just two people who are really good forgivers. Yeah. That's what makes a good marriage. It's just two people who are really good at forgiving one another. And it's the same in almost every relationship because we need it. So here are some of the one another's that I think fits into forgiving. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Really hard to live in harmony if we are harboring unforgiveness. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. How do you accept someone if you're going to go, man, that, but that thing you did, I, I'm not going to accept that. Then you're not accepting that person. You're, you're holding something. Bear with one another, Colossians 3, 13. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, 1 Peter 5, 5. And James 5, 16, confess your faults to one another. How's that for an instruction? We don't, don't often hear sermons on that one. No small group practice on that one. It's terrifying, isn't it? Because what are we worried about? We're worried that people are going to know and they're not going to forgive us. And we're happy. We go, Jesus, you, know, you can forgive me on this, but I know that they won't. And it's a tough one, friends. I know it's hard. I know it's painful. Forgive one another. Matthew 6, 14, 15 says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is a terrifying, terrifying stretch of Scripture. Dallas Willard says this, he says, Agape love and the spirit of forgiveness are basic to every relationship. So if we are to unlock our relationships in the family of God as members of one another, we must forgive. It's not an option. You remember what we said in Colossians 3.13, we must forgive one another. Can you say must? must? A little bit better, that's good. We get in there. All right, so the next one another. So we've got members of one another, love one another, honor one another as our operating system, forgive one another as the unlocking. So now we've got this device, it's powered up, it's open, it's ready. We've got serve one another, serve one another. Galatians 5.13 says, serve one another humbly in love. Again, you can see where I came up with these headings. It took a while. So the call for us to serve one another, it covers lots of the instructions and lots of the other one another's fall under this one. But the example, again, the example we follow is always that of Jesus. That is what we are doing. We are disciples of Christ. We want to be with Jesus to become more like him so that we can do what he did. Yeah, and he loved unconditionally. We want to do that. But Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28, 
The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's an incredible thing. How many leaders have come to serve? How many great leaders have come to serve? Not so many. As soon as they get into power, they set it up so that they get served. Yeah? Jesus was completely the opposite. This upside-down kingdom where he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. And he demonstrates that over and over again. So, like him and like his relationship to the world, our function, the function of our relationship with one another is to serve one another. So that's what it looks like practically when we love and we honor and we forgive as we serve one another. So, sticking with our device analogy again. So we've got it on. It's open. It's ready to go. So the serving one another is like the apps on your phone. All the little things that you've got. You're all trying to see what apps I've got on my phone. So it's, it's all Bible and study apps. That's all I've got on my phone. I don't have any social. So, but that's what it is. So serving one another is like the apps that we have on our phone. Your operating system is going to determine the apps that you can run. So is honor your operating system. And then from that, we can have certain apps that can run on there. So what are the apps that you are running? You remember the, the gifted series that we've just done last term? Yeah. Those are like the apps that you have. The gifts that God has given you, those are the apps that you have to be able to function, to be able to live this thing out, to be able to do. This is what you are able to do in this way. There are some apps that work on my phone that don't work on my iPad. There are some things that on my iPad function very differently to how they function and will function even more differently on a full computer. So it depends. What have you got? What are you part of? What is your operating system? What apps do you have? So... The one another's that fit under the serving one another. Care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Teach one another. Show hospitality to one another. Use your gifts for the benefits of one another. 1 Peter 4, 10. And pray for one another. So this is the point of being. This is the purpose of being in community like this. This is the point of us being members of one another. It's not just nice to get together and have functions every now and again and sing some songs and do some stuff. You see, that's a, that's a country club mentality where it says, man, what can I get out of this? I can go and like, I can pay my subs and I get certain benefits out of that that I'll use when I feel like it. Now, sometimes I want to use the tennis court and sometimes the squash court and sometimes the golf course and occasionally we'll you know, use the restaurant at the club. And that's, how we, and that's how, unfortunately, so many of us think church runs, but it's far more than that. Because we are members of one another. We've got to love one another, honor one another, forgive, serve one another. So how do we use what we've got? How do we use those gifts that we've got to serve one another in the unconditional love of God? The church is different to a country club. Here, we serve one another. All right, so that's the apps. That's what we've got. And then finally, the last one another we've got is build up one another. The last major category we've got, build up one another. Romans 14, 19 out of the NLT says this, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up or build one another up. If serving is the function, so serving is the practical, then building one another up is the vision. That's the goal. That's the thing we're, able, we're aiming to do. That's the thing that goes beyond this device. What influence can it have? What, what function can it have out there? So as we... As we hold to our meaning of being part of the family, and we, we got our analogy of the device, it is the potential that this device has. Now, if you've sat in any of the, we've, we've been to two um, talks recently, one by a lady called Emma Sadler, which was down at uh, Solid Ground Church, and another one by Anka Brandt, which was here. 
which Northland School hosted, on the dangers of, of the digital world, social media, digital addictions, all of that sort of stuff. This device has incredible power in it. I mean, aside from the practical computing of power, which is more than what put a man into space in the 60s, but it has incredible power for harm, to break other people down. To destroy others. You can get on this thing, and I promise you, quick, quick, you can, start a, you can start making people feel real bad about their lives. Just through WhatsApp or any simple things like that. But you know what it also has? It has incredible power to do good. Someone in this church, their house was destroyed yesterday. If I didn't have a phone, I wouldn't have been able to help them. Find out how to help them. Find out if they needed help. It's like, okay, what can we do? Here we're here. Let's, like, how does it work? So it's what is the potential of this thing? And I don't mean to, we need to use our phone. You, you're getting it. It's an analogy. What is the potential of this thing here? You with me? So what is the potential that we have? Is it, we, we, and it's a daily choice we make. Are we going to build up or tear down? As we go out and we use words, are we using words that honor? Are we using words that demonstrate the unconditional love of God? Are we using words that show our forgiveness? Or are we using words that break people down, that destroy things? that are bite, and that are bitter? Are we using words that are harsh towards others? Because if we do that, then we're tearing down. We're not building up, as the Bible says that we should. And it's important, the words that we use, because our words create worlds. Our words create the worlds that we live in. If you wake up every single morning and you say, man, I'm tired. Man, I don't feel like doing this. My life is hard. You know what? You're going to be tired. Your life is going to be hard. Because that's just the filter you're putting on, and you're going, this is, you're choosing to see it this way. And it's not a, please don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't like a self-help, you can name it, claim it, and frame it, word of faith thing. I, I, I don't believe in that. There are times when life is hard, and there is times when you, you are tired. And it's okay to acknowledge those things and say it. But there's other times when you need to go, you know what? Jesus loves me, and I'm going to do it. And that's okay. Because he says I must. So I will forgive. He says this, so I will do it. And so it's important the words we use. Here's some of the one another's that fit into this building one another up. Live in harmony with one another. Instruct one another. Are you going, wait, hang on, how is that a building one another up? Well, because you see, part of, part of what we are called to, and this is the Great Commission of Matthew 28, is that we are called to make disciples of Jesus. And so as our we often see that as an evangelism thing. We often see that as like a first point of contact. And it is. It includes that. There is. We need to go and tell people about the good news that Jesus loves them unconditionally and died for them and they can be forgiven of their sin and they too can live a life that follows Jesus. But the point is of these one another's, once we are members already, the point of that is that we get to be a part of other people's discipleship to Jesus. We get to be a part of building them up and helping them to become more and more like Jesus. And that, that is where some of these things come in. So like the instructing or the teaching, that's again, it's a gift you're using, but you're using it to build up. You can use the same app for good or for bad on your phone. You know that? WhatsApp, you can send encouraging messages or you can send real nasty messages. Same as social media. You've got to be careful with it because it will quickly take over your life. But you can use that thing for building others up. And it's the same with us. Ephesians 5.19 Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual song. When's the last time you ever did that? 
Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual. But how do you speak to someone with a psalm if you've never read the psalms? Go and read the psalms. There's immense wisdom in there. There are beautiful, loving words in there for other people. Maybe they're going through something. You'd be like, yes, I read the psalm by David the other day, and he was also, he was really complaining in that psalm. Like, he wasn't holding back. He was, like, shaking his fist at God. So it's okay to experience emotions. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You don't have to sing them. If you, like, if I did, it wouldn't be pleasant for anybody. But it says, speak to one another in psalms. It doesn't say sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But you get what it is. It's building others up. It's using your apps, using your gifts to build one another up. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to good works. Hebrews 10.24. Spur one another on toward love. Hebrews 10. Incredible ways that we can build others up. And again, use those gifts that you've got to build others up. Not to break down. How do we do that? Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Full of grace, always. Seasoned with salt, but full of grace. Are we building others up or breaking them down? What is our motivation for saying what we say? What is the motivation for using those gifts that God has given up? Is it our, are we trying to cover up our own insecurities? Are we trying to build ourselves up and seem important? Or are we truly loving in an, in an unconditional way others in the thing? Sister, why don't you go and call mom to fetch the kids, please? So we're going to do, we're going to have communion now as we finish. And it's a great, communion is such a great picture of the one anotherness. And I'll get to that now. now. But the only way that, that we can truly live this out, the only way that we can live out these one anothers is if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when we live in community, it's very easy to look at the people around us and go, man, that person does this. I don't want to be around them. That person does like you, it's easy in our cynical nature to live in that place with an operating system of contempt that goes, man, I just want to cut certain people off out of my life. It's going to be a lot easier if I don't have these people in our lives. And when we start focusing on the relationships and the things wrong around us, man, the devil is just going to keep, he's just going to keep pointing those things out to you. Remember like, okay, I went to a government school, maybe you don't all remember it, but when you'd stand in line for something and someone would like slap, the, slap you from the other side or the person next to you, and then you get crossed with the oak, that side, because he stabbed you. Now, that's what the devil does with us sometimes in relationships. And we're so cross with the person next to us, but it's not actually us. It's, the, it's, it's him doing it. And when we are focused on the people around us, we lose that. So the only way that we're going to be able to live out these one another's is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can only become members of one another and his body as we are saved by what he has done. We can only love unconditionally as we have been loved and experience that unconditional love. We can only operate from a place of honor once we know where ours and everyone else's true value lies, and that is in God. We can only truly forgive ourselves and others when we have known the true forgiveness from Jesus that sets us free from both the penalty and the power of sin. And we can only serve one another when we follow the example of Jesus and his disciples, knowing that he is the one who is truly worthy to be served and yet came to serve. And so the point of this doing life together, this one anotherness that we have, is so that we can build one another up, so that we can help other people in their spiritual formation, and their formation into Christ-likeness, and so that they can do the same for us, so they also do the same for us. So just 
by being in community and by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will be formed more and more into the likeness of Christ. But as soon as we take our eyes fixed on, take our eyes off of Him, and we focus on the relational problems, we begin to sink into the waves of the storm. But as long as we fix our gaze upon Him, we walk on the proverbial waters of relationships and live miraculously with one another as part of the larger family of God. So let us live out our one another's in the New Testament, the instructions that we have as we do life together. 